Millions of frontline workers keep our economy running and are provided with the latest technology to do their jobs. But digital adoption, especially by frontline workers, is really hard. This is Frontline Innovators. We explore how to overcome challenges and achieve success when we empower our essential workers. I'm Justin Lake. And I'm Gene Signorini. Together, we speak with experts who are leading the way and driving digital transformation to the front line. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful on a mission to help frontline workers learn and use the technology needed to succeed in their jobs. I'm your host, Justin Lake, and we're going to have another great episode today. Today's guest is a curious, creative, and strategic leader, passionate about people, culture, and designing high-impact projects. She is currently an organizational design and change management consultant at Boeing. Please welcome Eva Althaus. Hello, Eva. Hi, I'm so glad to be here. So glad you're here as well, and really looking forward to uh, kicking off our conversation today. So we always start the conversation with the same question. What do you think is the biggest challenge facing the deskless workforce today? Short answer, empathy. Lack of empathy. (laughs) Okay. Tell me about that. Yeah. So, well, I think frontline workers today are experiencing the reality of accelerated change uh, combined with uncertainty of their jobs and their situations, you know, with a global pandemic going on, uh, which involves all sorts of safety and health, um, you know, concerns that they didn't even have to worry about in the past. And they are also expected to perform the best they can with shipping issues occurring globally and um, family issues where their kids are not able to attend schools regularly, where their family just calls in and tells them I have COVID, you know, they have so many things happening around them and they're still expected to perform the same way or even better so that the business can thrive. So I think (laughs) empathy is lacking. We have a pandemic of lack of empathy right now Um, for a lot of reasons, including um, probably leaders are also facing these situations uh, at different levels. Um, But at the same time, you know, there is no real visibility of the amount of um, emotional and uh, job-related tasks that they have to face um, and how they have to juggle with them. So I think yeah. that's what I believe is the greatest challenge for them today. Well, and you've brought up a couple of things, we, some of which we've talked about on the show before, but you, you just made me realize something else, which is, you know, with the safety and health concerns and, and some of the things going on in, in our families, those of us that do our jobs primarily with a laptop, we can do our jobs from home, working in our home office or our living room in our kitchen, and we can actually tend to some of those family matters a little bit better during right. the last two years where many in the many of the men and women on the front lines have the same challenges in their family 
But unfortunately, since they can't do their job from their living room, they're forced to have to go into the office. And, and so it, it actually makes both scenarios more difficult. It makes their family life a little bit more difficult. So they take that burden into work. And then, as you said, they have the expectations are that they do the same or better from a performance standpoint as they were doing before, but they have a lot more burden sitting on their shoulders. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Well, let's, um, that's a great way for us to start off the conversation. And, and I do love when we, the word empathy comes up a lot on frontline innovators, which is fantastic because that's exactly why we want to have these conversations. We want to talk about the human side of change and uh, you can't talk about the human side of change without really thinking of, of empathy. And so I, I do want to come back later and explore that with you. But before we do that, I'd really like uh, to get to know you a little bit more and have you explain to our audience a little bit about your background. You've had some pretty extensive travels in in your career, so I'd love for you to kind of share with us uh, how you ended up in the role that you're in today and uh, share some of that background. Absolutely. So um, first of all, I have a multicultural, (laughs) you know, experience as a change management practitioner. Uh, which is fantastic. And that's something that I feel very grateful for. I am Mexican and I also live in the U.S. I'm currently in Chicago. And um, since I was very young, I've had (laughs) a lot of opportunities to participate in interesting projects. I started um, my career um, with an international business major in Mexico and then was quickly you know, involved in a um, project and very lucky to have participated for Steelcase, um, a global furniture design company, uh, where I was exposed to uh, design research and strategy work. uh, And also I was able to fine tune my listening skills uh, because I was able to interview more than 100 leaders in the company. So um, that gave me a very interesting perspective of, um, you know, how different people in the different areas, including manufacturing or designers or architects or uh, even, you know, commercial areas think and how they um, were perceiving um, the business strategy in that time. Uh, so that was really interesting and it allowed me to develop, you know, better um, listening skills and openness to discuss uh, different topics with leadership roles and also like frontline roles. So it was amazing. And that's kind of what ignited my um, interest in the next steps that led me here. Yeah. So. Um, Can I ask you a question about that? Actually, before we go past that, I I want to make sure we, I'd like to understand what puts you in a position to be able to interview a hundred different leaders in the company. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, that was funny. Um, But I was, it's a long story, but I basically uh, was working for the vice president of corporate strategy and I was just an intern, but I always thought that my position was kind of inflated <laughs> because I was a, an empowered intern in that moment. And that was awesome because I was given the freedom to just go ahead and contact people and tell them who was my boss. And then they would just like, absolutely. And then they, they had to open up. That's great. 
Yeah, so that was amazing. And it also allowed me to bring very candid uh, observations and questions without them thinking I'm being rude because I was just an intern, you know? So that was amazing. It was very interesting. Yeah, what a great opportunity to get full mm -hmm. visibility to the entire organization uh, at, at such an early time in your career. That's fantastic. Yeah. Okay, so, so I didn't mean to cut you off. So so tell us after what happened after that. Well, after that, I um, joined Semex, which is a global uh, construction uh, materials company. Uh, it's actually a Mexican company. And I joined in a very interesting time for Semex where they were uh, beginning the new era of digital transformation for the company. And they basically hired a hundred millennials to come into the company and bring a new way of thinking. And I was part of that, you know, batch <laughs> of a of hundred you know, millennials. But what was really amazing is that they trained us in two things. They they wanted us to become generalists in digital transformation. So uh, for a year, I was uh, put into like different assignments and travel a lot to like explore different kinds of projects. But they were all related to uh, technology, uh, you know, methodologies uh, like agile or lean, um, you know, innovation and um, UX design, analytics. So I was able to see different projects um, re uh, related to digital transformation. But at the same time, uh, they wanted me to become a specialist in some of the core skills that they were looking for. And it happened to be change management, which to me was a very uh, new term <laughs> in that moment, you know? And so for one year, I also received intensive training and got certified as a change management practitioner. So that was amazing. It was really, really interesting. And that just started forming a more like a clear path for me and for who I, who I am today. Yeah. What, what was it about the change management, the introduction to change management that caught your attention? I, that, that's my favorite part about this. Um, when I was doing work at Steelgate and strategy, I was able to put together a lot of research insights of why weren't we being successful at becoming a globally integrated enterprise. And then part of that, uh, you know, became a, a proposal of different actions that we had to take. But at that moment, I had no idea of how to make this a reality for the people in the company. And once I jumped into Semex, I realized that change management was the missing piece for that train that now I was beginning to learn. And that, that was just fascinating to me. So basically you go from design and research strategy to, to the actual people's side and understanding how people um, adopt new changes and how they adapt to them. So. Um, I was just, yeah, I was very happy to see that connection. Yeah, that's awesome. But there must have been other things, you know, d during that time, if you were, uh, it sounds like you got such a, a broad view of all of the other aspects of innovation, but something stood out to you about the change management piece. And and I, I love that you talked about it being kind of, uh, you know, the, the most important link and making sure that those other transformational initiatives can be successful. Yeah, so at Semex, 
Um, I actually was assigned with the role of research and development within change management. So that was fascinating because what I discovered was that we were thinking of change management wrong. Um, we were thinking of change management as a method that a consultant can come and tell you what to do. And then they would guide you through the process and they would give you, you know, very complicated charts and tell you that that's exactly what you should do. And then I realized we were doing it wrong because my major finding there was that change management is a team sport and it's an ecosystem that we need to connect. So uh, that's that that simple concept. I mean, we can go back to my biology lessons where you learn that an ecosystem, and I wrote it down for you here, that it's just that a community of organisms interacting with each other and their physical environment. So if you think of that and translate it into change, then we have, um, you know, change can only happen when the right environment and the right players are performing their role effectively and in harmony with the rest of them. So that sounds very abstract, but in practice, I, I believe it was just realizing that we had different roles and we needed to equip them with the right knowledge, skills, and tools to be able to successfully implement change at all levels of the organization. That's amazing. That, that's a, a great way to describe your journey. Now, that's not where your journey ends. So what caused you to, to take the leap to go from your um, Semex over to Boeing? Yeah, so um, I moved to the U.S. once uh, I got married to my amazing husband, and uh, we moved to Chicago. And um, yeah, I, I just never thought about working for Boeing, but it just turned out to be a, an opportunity, an amazing door. Yeah. Um, and then at Boeing, I... Um, I started learning now the, the connection between change management and organizational design, which is another piece of it. So um, that's where I am today. And I am learning that, in fact, uh, change management is even more successful when we have an organizational design that supports it. So I'm going to stop here. Before no, well, that, that kind of speaks to the comment that you made before connecting mm -hmm. back to biology and the ecosystem, right? Mm -hmm. So you can't just have a, a change management framework with all of those processes in place. If you haven't actually built out and thought about the ecosystem, I believe is what you're saying. Yes. Indeed. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. So I, I want to get back into kind of talking about the men and women on the front lines and the digital transformation initiatives that you've been a part of throughout your entire career. One question that comes to mind that you made me think about when you were kind of describing your background, and, and I'd just like to start off with this. Have you come across leaders or teams that just didn't get what change management was and why it was necessary, why it was important, and perhaps why not getting it was holding them back? Yes. Uh, yes, several times, actually. Okay. But I want to tell you a story because I think there is one specific story I have in mind that absolutely reflects this. Okay. And this is a story um, from when I was at Semex. I um, 
you know, I was part of this digital transformation initiative and they were implementing a new um, tool for uh, the, you know, interactions with customers and delivery of products, et cetera. And then there was this point where the leaders of different countries could not understand why weren't their sales force uh, workers adopting the tool. Like they could just not, not understand it because it was like making their lives easier. It was gonna like simplify their work and it was going to all of these ideas that you know they had in mind, but that they could not see reflected in adoption levels. Mm-hmm. And because of that, uh, they called the change management team and that was me and they were, <laughs> they were telling me, so Eva, I don't understand. We followed your steps, communication plan, training plan, you know, adoption metrics, and we're getting it wrong. <laughs> and I was just like, you know what? I think we need to go and listen to the employees. I think that's what we need to do. We need to go and listen to what is happening. Have you sat down and listened to them? Yeah, I mean, I've tried to like tell them to send me their comments, but they won't. And I'm like, of course they won't because you're their, their leader and they are afraid right. that you're going to fire them, right? right. So let me help you out on this. And then that's where um, I use one of the tools that we use a lot in design thinking, for example. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's an empathy map. And yep. I went I went to different plants and sat down with these uh, different you know, groups. I traveled there and, and hosted a workshop where I told them, I'm not your boss. I'm not anybody who's going to put your position in danger. I'm not going to threat you in any way. I just want to hear what is going on and, and really understand what is like keeping you from adopting this tool. Um, and how can I help you? So I, I got them together and we had an empathy map session and they, they pointed me out uh, what are they thinking? What are they doing? What are they saying? And how are they feeling about this tool? And gathering that perspective was just invaluable. Like it, was, it was great because you could totally see just the most unexpected barriers to, to change. Like, for example, I'm just afraid because I have my client list that they've been clients of mine for years and years. And you're telling me that I have to put them in a system where eventually somebody can take over and that they're going to replace me. And I, I was just, you know, it was amazing. And then after that, um, I told, I documented all of these in an anonymous way, et cetera, and brought the leaders to a discussion in one place and told them, you know what, this is what they're actually thinking. And they're, they're not going to say it to you. <laughs> I'm telling right. you this. And, and after that, they, they actually put their heads together to think, okay, maybe we are designing this program wrong. <laughs> so it was the change management failure was not just that they didn't follow the method correctly. It was that they weren't listening to employees properly. And they also weren't aware that the design of the program and the design of the tool was posing a threat over the eyes of the Salesforce. So that's just an, an example of, you know, how sometimes there is this gap in the change management leadership and the change management adoption. 
I think that's a fantastic example. And, and what was interesting about your story, and I, I'd like to understand this a little bit more because it, it sounds like there was some attempt to be deliberate and thoughtful about the change management before this failure, you know, the difficulty in, in adoption mm -hmm. happened. So knowing what you know today, would you make different recommendations to the leaders? I mean, it, I love the feedback that you were able to collect after they raised their hand and asked for help. But is there a scenario where perhaps you could have been able to, to gather that feedback in advance? What, what are some of the things that you might have done differently there? Yes. And I think that brings me to something we are putting in place at Boeing, for example. Um, we're talking about building a change capability in the organization. And that's the one thing that if I could do different and back in time, um, it would have resolved a lot of these gaps. And what a change capability means to me in simple words is on one side, having leaders who are good at facilitating change. And on the other side, having employees ready and open to receive changes, but also able to navigate, you know, with openness through them. So, and, and I can explore both of these further, but I think the key word in the first, you know, concept is facilitators of change because it's right. not only leading the process and the method, it's really facilitating the conditions for your people and environment to succeed at change. So it's almost like rather than refer to practitioners as change managers, we should refer to you as change facilitators, because really your job is to help orchestrate all of, and again, this goes back to your biology example before the right players performing their roles effectively, right? So it's not really about what you're doing to implement change, but how you can enable everybody to be, become a part of the solution. Bingo. That's, that's exactly what, what I've learned so far. And I yeah. probably will learn so much more in the future, but so far that's my biggest lesson. in yeah. You know, so, so something that you're really making me think about here, it, we often talk on this show and I have talked about this through most of my career is the importance of getting out in the field to meet with the men and women that are going to be impacted by technology before we go design and build something. But you raised an interesting point that sometimes it might depend on who's asking those questions. You know, so in the example that you talked about before, had the leaders gone out and asked some of those questions, their team may not have shared some of their concerns. And I, I think that's pretty interesting. You know, I, I mean, it, it almost makes the case for does somebody else need to be the one to go out and gather some of that information from the men and women on the front lines? In, in this case, it happened to be you to go in after the fact. But if we were starting from scratch, what would you recommend we do to go solve for that problem to make sure that we're getting the most candid information from day one? I think employee listening has to be a practice and a habit if you just come in one day after implementing or even before implementing your change, you're going to be like, I don't have that trust level with you. A habit is something that is embedded in your culture and that is embedded in your way of working. And if you do that recurrently and you build open spaces with real trust, you know, environment, 
that will allow people to be more candid with you. But if they have a history of they never listen to me, they just come here and tell me that I'm doing things wrong and they're going to fire me. And they just once a year come and ask me in a survey, how am I feeling? Then they're not going to tell you the real deal. You know, they're not trusting you. That's not a trust relationship and that is not creating a trust environment. So what I would say is, first of all, employee listening should be a practice and a habit. And that can create an environment that allows for that kind of trust and openness. And second, of course, I mean, it's true that some people will be better at opening with, with you know, their peers or their immediate colleagues versus the, v the vice president coming here and asking them, how are you feeling? Right. You know? sure. So yeah, you can have a blend of both, but I think the environment is the first aspect of employee listening that yeah. will really make an impact. And, and what that really reminds me is that you can't solve these challenges in the context of just a single project at a single point in time, this needs to be something that becomes a, a part of the culture, a part of the way that everybody in the organization thinks, or it's going to come off as, you know, pretty uh, opaque, right? It, it won't yes. be transparent. It, it will probably be self-defeating in the long run. So it really has to be implemented, you know, kind of culture wide. Yeah, and going back to the ecosystem part, but I really always think of change like that. But, you know, there are capabilities going on constantly and an ecosystem renews itself organically. And that's basically the way and the analogy I think of um, change management. Like, you know, we need to think of how are we renewing our, our change cycles and employee listening is the best way of doing that. You're going to get the best you know, advice from the people experiencing the change versus a consultant like myself. I can teach you methods, et cetera. But if you really want successful change, you need to go out in the field. Yeah. I, I think if after this episode, if we were to go back and count the number of times that you've said the word, listen, I think it, you're going to break the record today. <laughs> and and that's that's really interesting because it speaks to how important you feel that is. And I think, I may be wrong, but I think that many companies don't believe, particularly with frontline workers, that they have valuable feedback, that the men and women on the front lines have valuable feedback. I think sometimes they may say things like, uh, they don't know what they need or they don't know what would be best for them right? Or some variation of that. And whether they say those words or they just maybe don't ask enough questions because they think that, do you think there's, you think I might be onto something or do you think that that's not the case? I think you are onto something, definitely. I mean, I've observed certain kinds of leaders who have that way of thinking. Right. I also think that the culture is changing right now. I mean, with this pandemic, I see a different behavior in yeah. the way we're approaching frontline employer employees because we have no other way of doing change but uh through them you know right now they are the ones who are in the building resolving the things going on and that they are the ones responding to the emergencies and everything so 
leaders are starting to realize more and more um, that change is, is, is happening from bottom down as well, you know? But in that sense, we need to listen to them even more and give them the right tools and equip them better so that they are able to succeed in their everyday. Yeah, well, let's face it, the, the workforce is, is speaking right now with their feet, right? So workers in, in many industries are leaving jobs. And every company that I know that, that I work with right now has hundreds or thousands of openings of, of roles on, mm -hmm. on the front lines that they can't fill. And so maybe this is one of the, the silver linings of, of this whole experience in the workforce is that um, they are getting a chance to, to provide some feedback. And if companies aren't listening, then they're not going to survive through this experience. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. I want to switch gears to something else that, that we talked a, a little bit about um, when we first met. And that was what you described as the, the intersection between change management and design. And I, I know you've got some continuing education activities going on. So I'd, I'd like you to share with us uh, that story and, and tell us what you mean by the intersection of, of change and design. Yeah, absolutely. So I am currently a student again. Um, I am studying at the Institute of Design here in Chicago. Uh, and I am going through the Masters of Design Methods program. And I am just in the best place right now because something that I am very curious about and passionate about is exploring how people change. And something that I discovered is that there is a big interconnection between change management and the design practice. Um, starting with my first response of this podcast, which is empathy. empathy. Both of these practices have empathy at their core or at least must have empathy should. at their they core. They should have it at their core, right. Exactly. Um, and there are other interconnections like, for example, the human-centered design allows for a better change, like an easier transition in change process. And that goes, goes back to the example I shared, but if we had designed a program in a way that was thinking like really thinking about the, the sales for from its core, then the adoption of that would have been way smoother, right? So if we almost design in a way that allows for change, then, then your, your chances of being successful are exponentially higher. And then on the other part of it, it's like a cycle. Design brings new changes to the company. But change brings opportunities for more design <laughs> areas. Mm -hmm. So I think there is just a lot to explore there uh, that leaders should be thinking about. I think leaders should be thinking about how are we using some design tools in, in our change processes. And again, for example, I've been using empathy maps as a means to understanding users, but I have also found myself using design thinking process to sit down leaders in a room and define their to be in the change management journey, right? So I think these disciplines can be they, they won't fully merge, but I think they have enough interconnections that 
both leaders should be thinking of them both as tools to really succeed in their business transformation. Yeah. Well, one way it, you're reminding me of another episode that we did. Um, the guest was Doug Icorn from Whole Foods. And he, he said something that I won't forget, which is that we sometimes need, you know, with the development processes now being very agile, we, we favor rapid change, right? Mm-hmm. And that's great, except that there are people on the receiving end of that change that sometimes they need a break. And, yes. you know, so he, he talks about this in, in the fact that maybe we don't have to push every change out every two weeks or every three weeks for every sprint, right? Maybe there's some balance that we can find there. And I, I feel like that's one of the, the potential problems with saying, okay, well, we're going to improve the design. We're going to come out with some things that will actually make the process easier. But if we just do that every two weeks, we're going to inundate them with so much change that even though it's better, it's still going to be overwhelming. Do you think that's fair? That's absolutely fair. And I think that's another interconnection I observe, like the user experience or this fancy term to describe the, yeah, the experiences we face in product uh, adoption, you know? So uh, that has a lot to do with the design of the product and the experience we want to create in, um, you know, user or employee in this case. But at the same time, the change journey can be an experience and it can be a good one or a really awful one. So you have you have the, the lead on that. And and I think that's where where leaders can be careful in how they craft their products, but they they also should pay attention to how they are crafting that experience for employees. And you're absolutely right. Change saturation, it's almost a backfire. Like you're trying to go faster, but instead you're slowing down because you're not allowing sufficient time for employees to adopt and assimilate the changes coming their way. So mm -hmm, even if the changes are better, they may still be improvements. But at some point, it's like, hey, we just changed two weeks ago. Let us let us just keep what we have for a little while. And I'll take that improvement next month, maybe. Absolutely. And that goes back as well to the capability part where, um, I mean, a product has capabilities. They allow you to, to do something you weren't able to do before. But the same happens if you enable a change capability in the frontline employees or in the leadership team. Uh, you want to make sure you're training them and enabling them to successfully navigate through change waves. And the more they learn about it, the better they will be at taking on your agile developments, you know? So it's yeah. a, it's a two-way story here. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So you mentioned to me when we first met that English is not your primary language. And then we also talked a lot about the travels that you've been fortunate to experience in early in your career. How has that affected you and the way that you manage your role today? Yeah, well, first of all, it's definitely made me more aware of people in the room. And that is because my background as a Mexican, uh, you know, Mexican professional is a different experience 
to do that in Mexico, speaking Spanish and having conversations more fluidly with people than right. coming to the USA and then having to face the reality of a different way of thinking, a different leadership style. So it's not only about the language, but it's also about the uh, cultural differences. Um, and that learning process is rough. But once I've gone through that process, I think it's empowered me to do a better work, especially for change management, because I am I need to be able to talk with all kinds of leaders and the companies I've been very blessed to work for are huge companies and they right. they have international workers and a lot of global initiatives rolling out in a lot of different places so i'm just thankful to have had a lot of exposure to different uh leadership styles cultures languages um because that has given me definitely more awareness of the needs of people it's given me a better you know Uh, sensitivity uh, when I'm conducting um, interviews, uh, research, and even when I am trying to grab all the change impacts, for example, uh, it's it's more natural for me to double tap and say, are you sure you finished telling me everything you, you want to say? Because yeah. sometimes people aren't expressing themselves to the max because they're afraid that their language will become a barrier, you know? So I think... I've just been, yeah, I've had this opportunity to work in Mexico, in the USA, traveled and worked with people in Europe, and then also hosted workshops in uh, Egypt, uh, virtually, and in Philippines, etc. So it's just such a different experience every time. But So, so really you just helpful. mentioned something where you said sometimes you feel like you have to double tap to, to really make sure that the person that you're interacting with is sharing all of the things that are on their mind. How have your experiences, like, are, are there other examples of, of things that you've learned to dig in a little bit deeper to help draw out more from those folks? Yeah. So right now at Boeing, for example, I, I started a program and this is, um, this program is a global initiative and they wanted me to come up with a strategy, uh, change management strategy that applied, you know, for the enterprise rollout, etc. But once I started joining the conversations and listening to the different business units and their, their concerns and their unique situations, especially with their different locations, um, I realized we needed to to change our approach. I, I told, you know, the program leadership, I don't think we can just do an enterprise level strategy all fits all, you know, I think we right. need to, to tap into each of the, of the business units and go in there and do a change impact assessment and understand what is like happening there with their situations and locations, etc. And that's just something that came naturally but that it's not necessarily what like program leaders naturally go for because being aware and conscious that there are so many different, um, you know, changes just because you're implementing in a different location, that brings an absolute different perspective, way of thinking, challenges, and even situations that you wouldn't imagine, um, like external factors, for example. <laughs> 
And I, I think it's just, yeah, important for him. Are there cultural differences with the way that people adopt change, accept change, absorb change in, in yes. different parts of the world? Yes, there are. And I mean, I'm not going to lie. There are some countries that not, it's not like they struggle with adopting change. It's just, they have just different barriers to, to, yeah, to their work and their culture makes it different. So um, I actually took a course on, on global awareness and I learned, for example, there is a whole theory about um, like how some cultures are more polychronic and some others are monochronic. And what that means is some some cultures are more relationship based and some others are more uh, time management and efficiency based. So for example, the USA is a very monochronic country where people value their time, they value efficiency, they value like uh, processes and and that that mindset is it's great. And for some of those uh, initiatives, it works really well. But when it comes to engaging people, it's really hard to just tell them, you can do this and it's going to be great and give them a motivational speech and make them change. That's just different. But then you go to Latin America and Mexico, for example, is a very polychronic on the opposite side. And Mexico doesn't value time as much. And if you pressure them to adopt something on a specific time, it's going to be really hard. But instead, they value like relationships. So a motivational speech and badges and those kinds of things work really well. <laughs> so yeah. it's just interesting. Yeah. What's, uh, what's one piece of advice that you would give to somebody coming into a digital transformation uh, initiative that maybe you wish you had heard earlier in your career? Okay, in a digital transformation initiative. I would say um, get to know the business before you, you put together a strategy. So, so you want to go and ask questions. And get to know who is taking which roles, how the system works. Because that will allow you to, to define what are the capabilities that are missing. For example, uh, you can identify if the leaders already are great communicators and great you know, sponsors, then use that as your leverage and, and apply it. But if they aren't, then you can identify those gaps. And on the other side, like, go and understand the business and say, okay, the, the frontline employees are concerned with these topics this month. Like you really need to be aware of that. And that can only happen if you go and ask questions before you put up a strategy, because that's something I, I've seen in the past. People come up with their pre-charts, but <laughs> before you do that, you, you need to understand the system. And I think that's something that, I mean, right now I'm learning, for example, and that's a very quick framework. I don't know if you've heard of this framework, but um, it's called A-E-I-O-U. And this is by um, Rick Robert Robinson. Um, he, he created this framework that basically allows you to explore and understand a context in this, with these five letters, which are um, activities, environment, interaction, uh, objects, 
and users. So if you can go and understand that once you are in the process, you can um, increase your chances of successfully crafting a change management plan or work um, for digital transformation, I think. So yeah. that's really neat. That's a, a, it's a great example and, and good advice. So we're already coming up on the end of the time here. Um, I'd like to wrap up and ask you to share with us what's the contribution that you've made throughout any part of your career that you are most proud of? Um, okay, so I think the one that I'm most proud of is at Semex. I was able to start the first school of change, I call it, uh, at Semex, which was basically um, a global network that allowed leaders, transformation leaders in the company to come and acquire the right mindset, skill, and skills and tools to successfully lead a transformation initiative. And that included change management as a core, but also the virtues that a transformation leader should have in order to successfully lead, communicate, listen, and engage employees into a transformation journey. And that was, I think, my favorite piece of work that I've done so far because I was able to um, design the school from scratch and then implement it and see how hundreds of leaders in the company were bringing real life cases of transformation and learning how to be better on the human side of change. So yeah. that's just for me, those are the, my favorite kinds of projects where you're able to create something that does an exponential impact in the future. Yeah. Well, congratulations for that. That sounds like quite an accomplishment. It, it is uh, something to be proud of. I, I think what, what you're highlighting, I think is a great way for us to, to wrap up the conversation today, which is that any of these technology initiatives, and, and this is true for the front lines, but it's probably true for just you know change overall inside a large organization, is that it can't just be about a single process or a single framework or a single person being added to a team. It To be most effective in the long run, it has to be something that is embraced at a cultural level. So all the leaders need to be on board and um, you know everybody in the organization needs to be on board. It can't just be like a, a box checking exercise on the project plan. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's good. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time today uh, to, to share your stories and uh, contribute to the Frontline Innovators. Um, for those who've been listening to the other episodes before, you know that you're now going to be invited to come and participate on the Frontline Innovators Council, which is a private group that we have set up on uh, LinkedIn. And uh, just this month in uh, March, we're going to be uh, starting a monthly roundtable conversation and all of the previous podcast guests are going to be uh, joining us. So if you, you'll be welcomed into that group uh, after today. And if you know of others that would be great contributors in that group, uh, their fee for entry is just to come and uh, sit on a podcast with me or with my co-host Gene for 45 minutes. And, uh, and we'd love to have you uh, come and be a part of that organization with us. That's amazing. I'm very excited. And thank you again for this invitation. Excellent. Well, we do need to wrap it up there. Uh, for our audience, I, I hope you've enjoyed this conversation as much as I have. If so, please share and rate the podcast. Five-star ratings help ensure that it gets promoted to other professionals like you that are innovating on the front lines. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful. 
the mobile digital adoption platform for deskless and frontline workers, visit the website at skillful.com. That's S-K-Y-L-L-F-U-L.com. And if you or someone else you know is out there innovating on the front lines, we'd love to hear about it. Please reach out to me on LinkedIn and share your story, and we'll see you on our next episode. Thanks again for your time today. 